Hi everyone, James here. For my debut podcast, I'm delighted to have with me Johannes Niederhauser, PhD. Johannes is a Heidegger scholar, currently teaches philosophy at Birkbeck College, and will soon publish his first book on Heidegger's Phenomenology of Death. Johannes is also the impresario of the Dead Philosophers Club, which he hosts at the Library Members Club in London. Please check out his fascinating lectures and interviews at Classical Philosophy on YouTube, Instagram and Patreon. In today's discussion, Johannes and I explore Heidegger's statement in The Thing that in the modern age, the frantic abolition of distance brings no nearness. We explore Heidegger's notion from the personal realm of online interactions before expanding it out to encompass the global nature of drone warfare, ballistic missile defence and nuclear war. How do these techniques, as Heidegger would put it, stem from a pathological spatial abstraction and what can be done to counter this? Okay, so that's recording now. Okay, so I'll start off with a with a little introduction. So uh, my name is James. Um, I'm talking today with Johannes Niederhauser. Uh, just a little bit of background about me. Um, I'm a part-time PhD student at the University of Leeds, um, studying uh, ballistic missile defence and its uh, impact on... British defence policy, uh, the Labour Party, etc., using this theory of the strategic relational approach. And today I'm speaking with Johannes. Yeah, hi. Um, I have a, I wrote my PhD was on Heidegger, mm-hmm. and I guess we'll speak for the most part about ideas, yeah. um, Heidegger's ideas about technology and uh, what it means to be in the world in this epoch. Mm. Yeah, so um, please tell me if I'm not getting these questions or these concepts right, but I I thought that what we could talk a little little bit about is Heidegger and the uncanny. Um, And Heidegger has this uh, concept, um, which is that the, um, you know, the the destruction of distances is bringing no no nearness to us. so we have technology which supposedly brings us together from all over the world and the, the internet is, is kind of the, the, the ultimate version of that. You know, instantaneously um, on a flat plane of time we can communicate from all over the world but it doesn't really bring us any nearer. Um, uh, and I think, uh, I think that this was summed up in a kind of funny way when, when we first met in person in London because there was obviously I knew you were a real person but when I met you, I, there was some tiny part of my brain that didn't really accept that um, you were real until I met you in the flesh. Um, and that was very uncanny kind of experience. Um, and I wonder if that fits in with, with what Heidegger's saying there. about the. You, yeah, you had seen me on some YouTube videos yeah. before, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that's strange. I think th- there's so many ways to go with with that um, with that question because first of all, we live in a world basically, obviously, of images and shadows, 
you know, the, the, the deepest, perhaps one of the deepest ways of going into that is Plato's cave. I would say that we live, and this is this isn't this is very important also to 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 point this out. This is not I'm not talking about theory, mm. but I'm not talking about dead theory. Mm, mm. Um, that's just you know this is a, this is an interesting way of describing the world. No, I'm, I'm the way I understand history and especially philosophy. Because philosophy isn't theory either. Philosophy is the way we try to make sense uh, and find meaning in the world, and that's why. <clears throat> people philosophize throughout the ages um and the what the cave is the cave allegory uh is the uh unfortunate event uh that's now beginning to fulfill itself in this epoch i think this sounds maybe a bit weird but anyone who's, who's read the cave will be able to see that what's being described is the world we live in people who look at shadows and take these shadows to be real. And I actually um, outraged when someone by accident leaves the cave uh, under great pain, by the way, as Plato describes it, and comes back down. As Plato says that this person will face death because mm -hmm. it's dangerous mm -hmm. to point out that there's something outside. And the, the fact that this is almost now becoming a it's, it's becoming a reality, and this is not just the screens that we that we're now because you're up in the north of England, I'm down here in the south, yeah. and we're sitting in front of screens and, and looking at us in this yeah. way, which is already a more direct interaction, of course, than it would be. Uh, it's just one or the other looking at the other, yeah. um, doing doing a video or giving a video interview yeah. or something like that, right? Uh, and it's also a strange phenomenon that people begin to think that, you know, a voice that they listen to very often in a podcast, mm. they become their friends, mm -hmm. um, which, because it's so close to us, once so one would have to go into uh, the Logos, mm. Heraclitus says that the Logos is what we hear, right? It's not, it's not a proposition, it's not something, uh, it's, not, it's not a truth statement, it's, it's something we hear, the Logos is close to us, the, um, there might be a reason why the... Um, the sense of orientation and 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 uh, an equilibrium is located in the ears, right? It's uh, hearing is the first sense. It's not mm -hmm. seeing. Um, hearing is the first sense. By the way, Heidegger goes into hearing a lot. Um, we think, of course, that seeing is the first sense, but hearing is the most important sense, I think, because it goes straight into your. It's, it's, it's almost. It's immediate, almost, right? It's mm -hmm. it's so immediate. There's no. Mm -hmm. It just goes straight into. Yes. Uh, the center of your brain mm -hmm. um and that's something that that's certainly occurring but the the reason for this is i think fundamentally in in where all of this is coming from and it does originate i think with greek thinking with, with ancient greek philosophy um and this is now coming to fulfill itself and i, I don't know if anyone if you're aware of it or, or maybe some of the listeners there's a very good short story by em forster um, who the short story is called The Machine Stops. Do you know that one? I don't know that one, no. I, I know E.M. Foster, but I don't know the short The Machine Stops. Yeah, it's an incredible short story. I think it's written sometime in the 1910er years. So, mm -hmm. 1910, 12, 14, I don't know. Um, and it describes a world where people live underground, underneath the earth. Mm -hmm. And they live isolated in cubicles mm. uh, where they have everything mm. right they're, they're bathed every day automatically mm. uh they're served food from a machine um 
And all they do all day long is they're not perfectly isolated. They are in touch with each other, as Ian Foster says, through the use of tablets mm. and through the use of what we would now call Skype or Zoom mm. or any other mm. of these devices or programs or apps that we use. And they give lectures mm. all day mm. on the, the most outlandish topics, for example, mm. Aboriginal uh, Aboriginal Australian music uh, in 1200 BC. So that's a, that's a paraphrase of one of the examples. So completely outlandish, right? mm. very far removed because yes. th there's not even a world anymore. People live yeah. underground, never want to leave, actually. Mm. They could, but they don't want to. Um, and they exchange ideas. That's mm. what they do. They exchange mm. ideas. And that's uh, like a, a techno, mm. a technics version of the cave yeah yeah and the, well the main character has a son but she doesn't want to see him mm -hmm. so that speaks to that you know weird yes. nearness but yeah. distanced nearness mm -hmm. um yeah yeah um well so when people feel like they get a message or something and they can just kind of dismiss it and put it to one side because there's that that you get the message, but maybe you ignore it or something like that for, for like in, in general. Um, you know, whereas if you were face to face with someone, you ask them a question that they, they respond to that. Um, do, do you think that that's why the, the internet can be a place of these pathologies? So we see trolling, etc., because people, they, they, even though they might be watching people that they are able to disconnect. There's, there's this gap the nearness, there is some leap that needs to be made between the screen and the person. And when people are engaged in sort of trolling, etc., they are that's that's what's missing. They're missing the human because the technology is getting in the way. That could be. I'm not I haven't thought about that much, to be honest, about that specific uh, problem uh, or phenomenon. Um but let me try to comment and bring me from a from a different angle. Uh, I know that trolling, etc., is, is is quite big uh, on Twitter and anonymity, etc., as well. And that maybe there is something to it, right? That you can be anonymous yeah. uh, and still say certain things that you wouldn't say uh, in a different context. And that's not per se uh, to to be condemned or anything. Um, I think. More in terms of a different from a, from a, from a, this is a different topic, but it has to do with your original your initial question <clears throat> and your initial uh, experience, which is the, the 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 nearness can actually be extremely alienating. This fake nearness, right? Because you think oh, I've been listening to to this to this guy forever, and then you meet him or her mm -hmm. and realize. Oh God! Well, this is completely unbearable. Uh, this is the most dull person I've ever met. Or this is, you know, not speaking philosophically now. But this is just, this is just a complete idiot. I, why would I ever, you know, have listened to whatever he has to say? Or, um, <clears throat> or you just find him repulsive for any other millions of reasons that could, that could that could happen, right? Um, I think this, it, and that has to do though with 
with with a larger problem again, which is the sensation of meaninglessness and directionlessness of the contemporary epoch. When people speak of a meaning crisis, and which isn't as deep as speaking of nihilism, for example. And I think there's an existential abyss opening up, and modern subjectivity has kind of run its course, and it's becoming increasingly paranoid too. That that's something else that. What it means to be a subject means to be autonomous and having, you know, posited oneself. That's modern autonomy. And they all philosophers struggle with it. And we're now at a point where the subject is paranoid about itself. It wants immediate answers to everything. Um, you can see that with Generation said You mentioned uh, trolls. And I can give you an example from my personal uh, experience online. Yeah. You and I, we're, we're a bit older shall I say. Uh, so we, we grew up um, without mobile phones and with, yeah. especially without Twitter and all this yes, nonsense. Yes. Um, and for me, it's very important. You know, I like using these tools and, mm. and, and it's, I think it's wonderful that we can have this mm. conversation. Mm. Uh, and we, but, but it'll lead to us meeting, right? We, all, we met in London mm. and we'll, we'll meet again whenever you come down here. Mm. I might come up to the north at some mm -hmm. point anyways and then we'll meet up and go for a pint. Yeah or three yeah. and uh <laughs> but you know that that's what i want to just just i want to use it as a tool i want mm. to make not myself a slave to these yes. technological objects but i want to make these objects my slave mm. yes because they're not they're not they're not just objects just tools it's, mm. it's like a hammer it's not like a hammer it's much more powerful mm. than a hammer mm. um but i want to use it so that it translates literally translates like übersetzen pushes into a different dimension and that's the dimension of the the real right the the, the genuine and and not and outside of this uh de-distanced uh virtual nearness that can very quickly collapse um and isn't ultimately is it's not ultimately not real enough i would say mm -hmm. um <laughs> And what I've, my personal experience very often with kids of the Generation Z is mm. that they're very, um, like they, they, they text you, right? Mm. Like you're, 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 you're right there next to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, hey, Johannes, what's your position on this? Yes. And, and, and I don't know. What's my, why? I, I've never thought of this. I, I, don't, I can't, I can't, like, even if I had a position on this, I'm not going to write you a paper on Instagram, <laughs> right? But yeah. they, they just want like a two-liner. And if, if you don't deliver, then they get angry. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a massive, and that's probably extremely dangerous, to be honest. Because it, it, to me, what it tells me is that they don't read. Um, right, because, you know, what I mean by reading, of course, is <laughs> to sit down with a book and, fight with it like yeah. struggle with it i mean yeah. and actually maybe sometimes fight with it too struggle mm -hmm. with it mm -hmm. and try to dissect mm -hmm. what's going on mm -hmm. and then you make up your mind and but, mm -hmm. but it takes time right this is this is one of the good things about podcasts mm -hmm. is this there's you like this is your podcast mm -hmm. you you name it you decide who you talk to yeah. you decide what like you and your your conversation partner decide what the conversation mm -hmm. is you know about mm -hmm. that's the good thing but it always it has to come from a place of of real life yes and not 
the yeah. digital. The, yes. We cannot begin with the virtual and the digital. I think no. that that's no. a total mistake. No. Um, so I assume that uh, would I be right in thinking that um, Heidegger's antidote? Um, he talks a lot about spatiality, um, and or would I be right in thinking that this is to do with our home spaces, our where we feel familiar, where we grew up, where where places are imbued with meaning for us, and yeah. the relationships that we have in a local community. Yes, um, yes. I mean, uh, so Heidegger has this distinction between um, nearness and that which is without distance, right? So the Abstandslose, the de-distanced, is not the same as an actual nearness or vicinity or neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's different. That there's a difference, a crucial difference. And mm -hmm. nearness is, is if you like, is the wholesome, mm -hmm. the good dwelling, mm -hmm. and the de-distanced or that which is without distance. Mm -hmm. That's um, problematic because there you've created this fake nearness, you can mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. right? And we we can do this because. I can pull out my phone and look at anything that's currently happening anywhere mm, or yes. that's, you know, and framed in a certain way such that I think mm. that mm. I, I, I'm actually experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get to these ridiculous uh, phenomena of, of, you know, you need to go to a place because this mm. is where people take Instagrammable pictures now. Mm. Um, and it's, you, you're not even there. Right. I mean, what I always say to people is like, if you buy the so-called experience of a red letter day or, or a romantic weekend, just mm. don't go. Why even go? You've already done it. Mm. You've you've paid for it. Mm. I mean, mm. it's it's uh, the, the the there's there's an originality to experience um, that that cannot be pre-configured. That you cannot sort of that uh, you. you you cannot optimize for it, it to happen in a certain way. Mm. Um, and the nearness and with vicinity, etc., it, it probably has to do with where one is, is, is from, but it has, you know, people move around. I, I've moved around. Mm. Um, it's, but it's, it, it has to do with dwelling and that's very important, but I have to go a bit further. Even I have mm. to, say that what Heidegger means by a community is also not just, you know, your neighbor that mm. you like. Mm -hmm. Heidegger goes very, very deep here, very grounded. And that has to do with death, with, with birth and death. Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 what you mentioned when you speak of nearness and Heidegger and, and the, the, that which has no distance, um, we find that in a later text, uh, one of them is called The Thing. And the other one is called um, building dwelling thinking. And Heidegger here says that um, th there need to be a dwelling ground mm. that gives rise to a proper community of mortals mm. is where we are born, mm -hmm. but also where we can die. Mm. Mm. And th that's not a hospital mm. where you're told mm. by a doctor at some point, by the mm. way, um, Mm -hmm. I only have five minutes for you, mm -hmm. but uh, you have two weeks to live. And uh, there's not much I can do. I'm really sorry. Uh, but uh, we can get you psychiatric help. Mm -hmm. right? And then off they go. And this, and this is mm -hmm. what happens. That's not 
uh, a community. Mm. Uh, and, and that's very, that's very painful. Mm. Uh, that's not, I mean, the, just what Heidegger says to us is very painful because it would mean that we would have to accept what? Limitation. Mm. And there's the connection, mm. right? So without accepting limitation and finitude, mm. ultimately death, mm-hmm. what we become, what modern subjectivity becomes mm-hmm. is like an explosion, right? It's this yeah. ex- extending outwards mm-hmm. and needing to erase all distance. Yes. Um, because once, only then does modern subjectivity feel at home in the world, which means that it consumes the entire world or the mm-hmm. planet mm-hmm. all at once without any limitation to anything, which means I'm not dying. I'm not, I'm not mortal. I'm the one mm. thing that's not mortal because mm. I'm the ground of all beings, right, right. Of everything that is. So it, but without death, we will only always have fake nearness or the mm. de-distanceness, but mm. never, but never mm. real vicinity. And I could even go further. I could say, look, between lovers, partners, mm. Will you ever really love one someone if you don't accept their mortality mm. and your own mortality? You, you don't mm. know that you mm. potentially yeah. might die in their yes. arms, yes. Or, yeah. you know, they in yeah. your arms. Mm. And by the way, also that this is a necessity of yeah. life. Yes. Yeah. And that that's that creates yes. or generates or brings about a nearness, yeah. a vicinity yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's yes. much stronger than any other. Yes, it's a very very scary thing to think about, but it's something we've all got to think about, isn't it? Um, yes, yeah. and and it takes away it takes away these fake desires that we have, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you know everyone needs to pay their bills and all this stuff. Not about uh, being elitist and uh, distance from all of this, yeah. but uh, there's a certain like once once this hits you that you, know, you will lose everything, anyways. It, it 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 takes away all of this, um, like if the 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 fake desires that we have, which aren't ultimately real. It can never be fulfilled, by the way. And the other thing I would say is, with you know, you know people talking a lot about saving the environment and getting back to nature, mm-hmm. etc. Well, as a human being, getting back to nature, the one thing you face, crudely and very very brutally, is limitation. But you know. <laughs> When you, we're sitting very comfortably here yeah, yeah. Uh, on sofas, mm-hmm. and I can go outside in my little little garden here, mm-hmm. and you you have your garden or something, or we can go take a hike in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not going back out into yeah. nature. If we actually did, um, what we would be faced by is our own physical limitations. Very quickly, also maybe yeah. to speak uh, non Heideggerian terms, mental limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, this extreme loneliness that can mm-hmm. come about, and you're in awe mm-hmm. of. Um, a mountain range or so mm-hmm. um, that we haven't like you know not, not like going skiing because yes. we're we're in charge we, we're yes. like totally dominating that yeah. environment yeah. But even by the way and that's that's like the weirdest thing to me is and I've said this many times this year is I don't know if you've seen this the, the pictures of people queuing uh, up on the I haven't Everest. seen them but yeah I remember you saying yeah can, and, yeah yeah and so they might all to... be British they might all just be very polite uh, <laughs> So they're all queuing. No, I'm kidding. But they have to be queuing, and they're actually stepping over dead bodies oh, God. of people who have died. Um, I mean, it's it's, it's grotesquely mm. uh, ironic, mm. and and and, and, and and yeah, it's it's yeah, it, that that really tells you something about how 
you know, the, the non-available, which also has to do with, like, there are things that aren't available to us. Mm. But that, that's something we don't want to hear. There's a very good book. I find it very good, at least. It's not very well written, but it's very, very prescient and very, just very timely. Mm. And sometimes a timely book is good. It's, I, I forgot the author's name. It's called The Circle. I think it was published in 2014 mm. um, or 2015. It's about basically the, the, a, a new um, tech company that takes over Google and Facebook and all the others. Mm. Uh, and their CEO at yeah. some point in the book says, it's a basic human right that every human being have access to every experience. And that's, again, that's modern subjectivity, yeah, yeah. the autonomous subject that needs and wants to experience mm. everything mm. without any appreciation of the necessity of uh, distance mm -hmm. and impossibility, mm. limitation, non-availability, withdrawal, concealment, mm -hmm. obscurity, darkness. But it, what it does, weirdly enough, by neglecting that darkness of existence, as Jung would say, right? Mm our shadows will haunt us if we mm. don't accept them. That's what's happening. And that's, that's then why perhaps also people get that extremely aggressive online. Um, I'm speculating now because I haven't thought this through, but there's extreme like, you know, uh, anger and aggression and violence uh, that you often can, like, you know, people calling for murder basically <laughs> online, which that's pretty dark, yeah, yeah. all things considered. Mm, yes. Um, and, and on that shiny note... Um, <laughs> yeah, on that, that happy uh, note. Yeah, well. uh, maybe we can extend... You were talking about the globe there. Maybe we can extend that out, this idea of... Um, uh, this idea of um, techniques and uh, bringing that distance distancing out into drones and nuclear weapons yeah. and ballistic missile defense and yeah. the 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 extreme distance distanciation between people making decisions which can you know kill thousands of millions of people potentially and, and where that lies you know if you're a politician in a room um giving an order for someone else to drop a bomb or to launch a missile somewhere in the in the Middle East or wherever it might be, that's going to kill lots of people. Um, they don't experience that, but the the pilots, however you want to term them, they have some of the worst PTSD rates going because they um, they they carry out these maneuvers and it's all on you know high digital film and they they're looking at the targets that they're they're, they're shooting at. And then they're in a base somewhere that's in the same country where their family live, and they literally drive half an hour home at the end of their shift, and they're sat having dinner with a family having you know killed people um, that day um, in yeah. high resolution, um, and it's really screwing people up. So I wondered if that spoke to um, you know yeah. Heidegger's concept of uh, the yeah. destruction of, of distance bringing no nearness. This is. I mean, as, as prescient as Heidegger was in his thinking, he says Americans will freeze themselves. He says that we will create, or, you know, not create, but we will produce uh, human beings the way we need them. Um, and But I'm not aware that... So he speaks of the... He has a lot to say about this, uh, Sputnik, Sputnik, the satellite. Mm. 
uh, he talks about it and he says this the epoch of the Sputnik is no longer a human epoch it's already there's something else going on um, it's it's uh, but I, I, the, the possibility I think of what the the drone strike makes possible and the way you've described it is uh, very intense um, I don't think I don't even think that Heidegger could have seen that one um, and it's fascinating how it was it's it, it's no it's not really part of public discourse right because we, we focus on utter non problems uh, but the, the fact that Obama uh, initiated the kill list uh, and that got the Peace Nobel Prize mm. in the same year uh, where he decided every Tuesday morning um, who he would have mm. killed that mm. week and very often it's Noam Chomsky who was one of the few people who talked about it mm. uh, as pointed out that often killing entire villages mm. just to get just to get to one terrorist mm. uh, or perhaps one who was suspected to be there mm. um, it's but there's something you know. It's not even. I'm, I'm not, it, I don't want to make a political mm. point because I think there's something much more fundamental than just mm. politics going on. Um, it, it has to do with power. Yes, that America is the power. More currently, the, is the empire, and 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 maybe an empire. You could one could say uh, an empire has to be violent and brutal in order to maintain order uh, within its borders and also at its edges. Um, so that, that, that's unfortunately probably also what's going on uh, always. But the, the, the fact that it's now possible to um, kill w with, with such precision um, and one could, of course, say, well, well there's always been catapults, right? Uh, so we could throw stones mm. for I don't know for three four hundred meters and then mm. kill people behind a city wall, mm. but I think that yes that that's killing from a distance. Mm. There, there were cannons that were used obviously mm. for hundreds of years now, um, um, or all the pilot um, mm. the, you know, the the blitz by the Nazis over mm. London and Coventry for example mm. destroying the entire. Uh, city of Coventry mm. um, that, that was also very distanced uh, killing um, but the difference is they're still there they have to fly they're actually yeah. under threat themselves of being shut down um, and weirdly enough they don't actually see who they kill they, they might have to worry about that afterwards mm. uh, and they probably will but what we're now seeing is exactly this kind of extreme nearness. You actually see your target yeah. who unsuspiciously walks uh, from his home, perhaps yeah. to the market square to, yeah. to get something. And then it's being shot with a you know, high precision yeah. uh, or an entire village is, is yeah. just carpet bombed. Yeah. Um, while someone uh, looks at it, but, but, I think the, the what's most uncanny about this is that it's not uncanny, right? What's most uncanny is the the coldness, the sterile, overly over hygienic coldness with which that takes place. Mm. That that's what makes it so 
so uncanny because the uncanny does not show itself. It's literally someone in an airbase somewhere in Texas or Rammstein, perhaps in Germany, um, sitting in a very clean room, maybe a cup of coffee next to them, listening to music, perhaps. You never know, right? Mm -hmm. Or watching something on YouTube and Mm -hmm. off you go. Take a shot. Take it off your list. It's something you do. Like uh, someone else has got to do a couple of calls every day. Sorry? Like doing a spreadsheet or something. Yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah something to tick off the list for that day because you've been ordered to do so. Um, and it's, it's that coldness that, that, that is, that's completely, that's utterly new. This is something that's not been, so there's always been killing mm. and, and war by means of you know, being distanced yeah. from your enemy. That's always been the case. Yes. Even just a spear or yeah. uh, an arrow and a bow. Yeah. Um, those are ways of killing an animal or a human enemy yeah. from a distance. Yeah. But still, you have to be where the they theater. are. But now you can sit in a, an air-conditioned room in Arizona uh, and uh, wipe out a village in Sudan yeah. um, because you've been ordered to do so. Yeah. And now I can't, don't know enough about PTSD and what, yeah. what it actually entails, but... Maybe I can say a few things about it anyway. So not speaking as an expert, right? Mm. Not, not an expert in PTSD, yeah. but coming from edit from maybe tragedy mm. and, and philosophy. There's a project in America called Theater of War, run by a, a philologist, an ancient philologist who translates the great uh, tragedies by Sophocles, for example, um, Antigone, uh, Ajax, and has been, I don't know for how long he's been doing it, 10 years, 15 years perhaps, uh, presented those plays on stage uh, to soldiers who suffer from PTSD. And as you know, in Greek uh, tragedy, there is no solution. It's just, it's a tragedy. There's no happy ending. They don't even think of that or, or in terms of that. But what the tragedies bring about or show us, set, bring forth is the fact that there is, you know, something that's unresolvable at the heart of existence and that you can call this death, that there's an intensity that, that, that cannot be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who suffer from PTSD in America very often do so because, not just because of the horrors that they've seen mm. at war, and most you know, importantly, I would say, completely pointless wars mm. that are just going nowhere and have been going on now for 18 years in the case of Afghanistan. Um, but you know, being in a desert fighting for democracy, so called, but not even that anymore. So that that meaning's yeah. gone. So so they suffer PTSD, but they also suffer because when they come back, they're heroes. And when you're a hero, you have to shut up. And a hero, uh, in in this American narrative, as far as I see, it is someone who uh, has to be you know stand tall and don't bend and don't break. Mm. and uh, wave that flag because it's mm. a flag I love. Blah, blah, blah. But th- there's no... The, the healing could be just, for example, to, you know, to, 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 to get therapy, to cope with it, but not the fundamental acceptance that there are these situations and moments in existence that cannot be solved and resolved and such are violent outbreaks, for example, that we call war. Mm. Um, and 
what then, but at least, at least, you know, in this sense, don't get me wrong here, but at least they were there. Mm. Like at least those who are in Iraq or yeah. Afghanistan, now to speak of recent wars, at least they were there at the place where something happened. They can relate to why, you know, why, why am I suffering yes. from traumatic setbacks? Yes. My, my grandfather, for example, uh, had set the flashbacks his entire life until the day he died, until he was 91. He had these flashbacks, not every day, but he had them. Horrible dreams of seeing his friends being torn to pieces. Or he he was he was not actually a soldier. He was um, he worked uh, he was um, with the Red Cross, I think, or so with with the army with the Wehrmacht. So he had to help uh, the the victims on both sides. And there's one story he told us in Krasnodar in Russia. There thousands of dead bodies thousands lined up mm. and then all they did was walk around and try and find people who could still be helped and if they couldn't be helped then you know you'd have to do something else sometimes um but uh it, at least you have a place that you can relate it to a place is very important it's, it's like this mm. is this happened mm. in this place in iraq this is where and at a certain time and you were actually there and you stuck through it but these people are entitled to those drone war. You know, you said, could you even call them pilot? We don't even, what would you even call them? Right. Mm. These joystick warriors, yeah. um, they have, they have no proper memory of it, but they do. Right? So, so they have no relationship. They don't see the other person mm. who they've killed. Mm. If we're honest, that's what it is. It's killing. Mm. Um, even if it's an act of war or an act of defense or whatever you want to frame yeah. it as, but still, the act for the person remains one of killing. And that is something where they, they cannot begin to relate to anything because they have no proper memory of the place and time where it actually happened because they were never really there. Mm -hmm. And that's the uncanny, right? This is, goes back to your first question, like this, the uncanny that can happen when you actually meet someone mm -hmm. who you've only seen on the screen before. Mm -hmm. Um, and and have listened to, for example, that uncanny is something that they they couldn't even like they kind of feel, but they can't put into words. And there's no one to tell them or talk to them about yeah. what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And also, they could never meet mm -hmm. or go where they are because it's mm -hmm. so foreign to them. I mean, let's mm -hmm. not kid ourselves. There's mm -hmm. vast differences between mm -hmm. a place in a, I don't know, Texas mm -hmm. and Yemen. Mm -hmm. um, they've got almost nothing in common. But you, you're taking away an entire, uh, the, the experience is so un, un, or this unordinary, extraordinary, unordinary, I don't know how you want to put it, uh, for, what, for human beings, yeah. that this is probably what crushes uh, them, I, I, could, I, I would think. Mm. No, that's very, very powerful. I'm sorry to hear about your granddad. Um, yeah, I, I think that what, what also just came to mind there, with the, the bases, etc., is the fact that be, because they are not going away, there's no one, there's nowhere where they can escape from. You know, if their base is half an hour from where they live, it's not as though they've they've had this terrible trauma, but maybe it's in Iraq. It, the the trauma took place right where they live. There's nowhere yeah. to escape from it. Yeah. So that that's the excess of nearness, in a sense. 
for the pilots. <laughs> good, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Johannes. Well, we've we've done just over half an hour, so um, it's been a fascinating conversation so far. I don't know if you, if you feel like that's enough now. Um, you know, I've I've really really enjoyed that. It's been it's been so great to speak to you. And a fascinating conversation, and I feel like we've we've explored some new areas that may be in your other things that I've that I've listened to. We've not you've not really gone before, sort of almost international relations and yes. and warfare and how this relates to to Heidegger. So I, yeah. I, I've really really enjoyed speaking to you. To yeah. this afternoon. Same same same. It's very good. I'll yeah, just switch the you. recording off. Thank you, Chief. Okay, folks, thanks very much for listening. If you're interested in keeping up to date with posts and podcasts, please check me out, James Simpkin, um, on Twitter, um, Medium, and YouTube. Look forward to bringing you some more interesting speakers and thinkers in the weeks and months to come. Cheers.